0: Well, welcome to Trinity Sunday. This is another one of those feast days of the church where we recognize having celebrated ascension, the, the God the Son, returning to eternity into heaven, to be with the Father and God the Holy Spirit celebrated on Pentecost. We now have our third feast day in a row. The feast day of the Trinity, where we remember God is not one person, but three persons. I was joking with my former seminarian, Jason Dampier, who's now an ordained Lutheran pastor. Good to see you, Pastor, today. But, uh, and Jessica, his wife, with him. Good to see you guys. But I was, I was commenting to him, boy, it's Sundays like this that you wish you still had a seminarian. Because typically what we do is we make the seminarians preach these really hard weeks like Trinity Sunday. But since I don't have a seminarian, uh, I guess I'll venture into it myself. But I wanted to say up front that, you know, the reason we study things like the doctrine of the Trinity is is not simply so that we could be filled with more knowledge. There is a purpose behind it, and I think it helps to know what the reason is. And the the reason is this, that I've concluded, that, that we learn, we study the Trinity, we understand God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that we may know him better because as we know him better, we're able and we desire to worship him more fully. To know God, truly know God, is to be in love with God and to worship him and to want to know him even more and to serve him faithfully. Knowing God begets knowing God and on and on. So we are always privileged to know God more and more. So it's, that's the reason. This week, I, uh, I prayed a da- dangerous prayer. I prayed a prayer before I went out. I was doing some things, and, and I said, and maybe you've heard me say this before. I learned it somewhere along the line. But if you're really bold, you can pray, God, I'm ready to have a conversation about you, but I want you to start the conversation. You begin the conversation. And so I prayed that prayer on my way to do some, some errands this week. And I got to one person, a young adult, uh, in their late 20s, and not a Christian, I knew that going in, and this person says to me, I just listened to a blog about an evangelical pastor that no longer believes in hell. And I'm like, whoa, okay, I think that might be my opening to have a spiritual conversation. I mean, talk about a silver platter. And so we had this amazing conversation, mostly me listening, believe it or not, I can do that, and we just, we just, I just listened and, and tried to draw out from this person what their concept of God was, and, and why that mattered, and, and, and what about this, this, blog, this podcast, I guess it was actually a podcast, that they really enjoyed uh, and, and were connected to. And so we began to have a long conversation, and I was able to say a few things, but, but mostly listened. And you know it was a bit sad, but hopeful. Hopeful because we were having the conversation. Sad because when I, I asked this person, uh, "What what do you want to be true? If 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 what what if God could be what you want of God? What would He be like? What would God be like?" I, I've, it's not my original thought. Dallas Willard teaching me that through a book I'm reading by him, and, and it's a great question, I think. That what what do you want to be true? And and what this person articulated was basically, well, a, a god who is impersonal, who is the if you will the force, uh, to 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 use the the Star Wars franchise uh, idea of God, an impersonal force, the cosmos working behind the scenes, but in an impersonal way. And uh, and that there's meaning and purpose, but it's it's veiled and mysterious and distant. And truly, that's the uh, worldview of a lot of people that we probably encounter. Maybe you don't know that, but there's the, that's the worldview of a lot of people, uh, particularly in a place like Gainesville, but not only in Gainesville, all over our, our country and beyond. Um, this kind of a vague idea. That is the complete opposite, 180 degrees from what from what God reveals himself to be to us in scripture, isn't it? that God is not impersonal, that He has personhood. As a matter of fact, He's got tri-personhood. He's trinity of persons. And that He's not a veiled mystery entirely, but that He desires to be known and makes Himself known to those who bother to pursue Him. Well, it's with that idea that I want to look with you at uh, the Exodus passage that we had read a little bit ago by Andrew. This Exodus account of Moses and the the first encounter Moses really has with God. Because it's one of those foundational passages in Scripture where God says, if you want to know what I'm like, this is what I'm like. And here is an encounter that you can model for. As a matter of fact, it's one of those Scriptures that we go back as liturgists, as those who would lead worship, and we study to understand more fully how we should worship. So with me for a few minutes, just take a look at that. If you've got that Bible out there, grab it. Look over at, at chapter 3 of Exodus. Um, maybe you think you know it really well. I quizzed the 8 o'clock service. When there's only seven of you, you can do that. And, uh, and they actually missed the last, my last question. So, so you might want to turn over there. It's on page 46. God comes to Moses... While he is going about everyday business, he is taking care of the livestock of his father-in-law, Jethro. He's out in the wilderness and he happens upon the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. But he doesn't go there because it's the mountain of God. Notice that. And by the way, Horeb is just another name for Sinai. Uh, But he doesn't know that it's the mountain of God. He's simply going about his daily work. And all of a sudden it says that the, that the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a bush that was burning, but yet was not consumed. Just like in Deuteronomy it talks about the God is a consuming fire. Well, here is a picture of the consuming fire of God. It's, it's a bush that burns and yet is not consumed. And Moses notices the bush. I think you would probably notice the bush. If you saw this bush burning and it's not consumed, it would grab your attention too. But notice in the scripture that verse four says, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses verse three says, I will turn aside and see the great sight. Why the bush is not burned. So Moses sees it. But Moses doesn't simply just see it. Oh, there's a burning bush. That, maybe that's God, or maybe that's a very spiritual, holy place. He actually turns aside, and it's not until he turns aside that God speaks to Moses from the bush. Now, Nicodemus gets knocked a little bit. He's our gospel reading this today, right? But at least Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He doesn't have a clue as to who Jesus is, but he comes. He comes at night. He comes under the veil of darkness. He doesn't want to be seen. And yet he comes and he's asking questions. He is inquiring of God. And God responds just like he responds to Moses here in Exodus 3. As he turns aside, then God speaks to Moses. You see, I wonder oftentimes if God wants to reveal himself to us, and yet we don't bother to turn aside. And yet when we do, God speaks to us. Now, this is interesting because in our services and the way we run our service, there is a call to worship. Oftentimes it's a song that the music team sings, there's an acclamation, I read today the... The, the Trinitarian acclamation, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there's this call to worship, this, 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 this invitation to come worship God. But what we know from Scripture is that, in fact, in order for you to decide to come to God, God first has to call you to himself. So while you think that you got out of bed and got dressed and ate breakfast or whatever else you did to get here, To really understand worship is to recognize that, in fact, you were called here by God. God did not have to call out to Moses from the bush, but he did. And as he did, there is that invitation for Moses to worship, to find out who God is and what he's called him for. And so then Moses is drawn to... To, to God. And, and then as he comes to him, he's told to take off his sandals, take off the, the dirt and the dust from life. There's that purpose for taking off your sandals before God. God says it's a holy place that, that defiled things, those, those sandals that Steve's wearing right now would have to come off because there's just no telling where he's been walking with those sandals. He's got two boys. There's just no telling. But there's also something about taking off your shoes, particularly in a Middle Eastern wilderness, sandy desert, arid place, there's a vulnerability that comes with wearing, taking off your shoes. There's there's a vulnerability of the heat and scorpions and other things that are in the desert areas and your feet are grounded in the dirt. There's a holiness, about coming in for the presence of God, of being set apart. That's why we say the call it for purity. To you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. So we come and we, we take off our sandals and we stand before God vulnerable. And then God begins to reveal himself. To Moses, doesn't he? He begins to tell him who he is. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. To worship God is to have God reveal himself to you. It's at the center of what worship is. To worship God is for God to reveal himself. In other words, for him to begin to let you begin to know who it is that you're before. For for Moses, this was a reminder that this is the God who made covenant with my forefathers, who made covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's the God who keeps promises. He's the God who revealed himself to them and now he's revealing himself to me. When we come to church, we don't simply say the creeds because we want to believe them for ourselves. We say the creeds because we are, we are coming in unison with everyone who's gone before us. This is what the church has always believed about God. I believe in God the Father, and on and on and on we go. This is God revealing himself to us. And as we worship with other people we are reminded and we view the we see the person that that we're there sitting with and it reminds us of their faith what they've walked through with god and that they're still faithful to god and it encourages us doesn't it because we know that we're no longer simply just one person but we are a community of people who are encountering god who he is revealing himself to that we might know him so God reveals himself. We see God revealed in our liturgy, which is largely drawn from Scripture. We see God revealed in the Scriptures that are read, which is why we read so many Scriptures. And hopefully we're, we're hearing revelation of God through the sermon, through the words that I'm speaking or the Father James is speaking, whoever. It's reminding us of who God is and that he is, what, what it is that he wants to reveal about himself on any given Sunday. It's, it's the second part of worship. Now, the third part is the response. If you were to encounter God, the eternal, the one we read about in the psalm, this one who's mitered in the mighty waters, who, who is, is almighty in power and all that's described there, and then you were simply to come to the end of the time of being with God and then to simply say, well, that was really pleasant. Thank you very much. You know, and then walked out. I mean, that's not worship. That's that's a lecture. We respond to God. Well, how does it that 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 Moses responds to God? This is what the early service missed. What is what does Moses do? He hides his face. He hides his face because Moses has not yet had God revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All Moses knows is God Almighty, the the consuming fire, the Holy One, and he hides his face. But that is a response. It's a response to having encountered God. And so what does Moses do? He hides his face because he knows he's unworthy to gaze upon God. He, He literally looks, in the Hebrew it says, he, he avoided the gaze. He didn't want to stare at God because, he, again, he hasn't had revelation of the Holy Spirit, God the Son. He, he simply knows God is almighty, and so he hides his face, but it's a response. We also get a chance to respond every week when we come to communion. That is our response. We're called to worship. God reveals himself to us. He then calls us to respond. We come to this rail. We kneel before him in our vulnerability. We receive the elements. We remember that Christ has died for us, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son as the gospel passage ends. And we remember the redemption, the life that we have in Christ because Christ not only died for our sins, but was raised on the third day and has ascended into the heaven and has sent the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the other comforter that we celebrated on Pentecost. And and so therefore we come in response and we kneel and we receive. It's a different response, but it's a response just as Moses responds. Now you know what comes at the end of worship after we send it to the cross. We go forth to love and serve the Lord. God begins to show us the work he's called us to do. Empowered by his spirit, empowered by the knowledge of who God is, his great love for us, his call upon our lives, his empowerment in our lives, we go forth. Maybe this is why sometimes we're afraid to get to know God. You know, it's like you get to know God, he's going to call me to do something. He might call me to be a Lutheran pastor. But I loved what Father James said two weeks ago in his sermon. God calls us to an adventure with him. What could be greater than to serve the God of the universe? I mean, truly great men and women in history, if you, if you study not only them, but the people who were around them, they considered it the greatest privilege to serve this amazing, wonderful person that they were called to serve with. And so it is with us. God loves us and calls us. Now, Moses' work is tough. Moses Moses has to go to Pharaoh and proclaim to Pharaoh, hey, guess what, you know, let my people go. I'm calling them out of slavery and that whole thing. And, of course, Moses complains, as we often do, you got the wrong guy, I I stutter, I'm not really good in front of people, Uh, pick somebody else. And God says, no, no, Moses, it's you. You've encountered me, I've revealed myself to you, you've responded to me. Now I'm going to empower you to go and accomplish what I've called you to do. And so we, we talk about ways to love and serve the Lord. We, we hear from the Lord and we respond. We go on that adventure every day, asking people, asking the Lord first, Lord, I'm ready to talk about you. You start the conversation. Whatever it is that he has for us. Well, now, what does this have to do with Trinity Sunday? Well, this is just me trying to avoid talking about the Trinity. Didn't you get that from the beginning? It's much more practical to talk about Moses and his call and talk about the Trinity. No, it does fit. You see, our, our, our revelation of God is so much greater than Moses. Our revelation of God is even greater than Nicodemus who sat and talked with Jesus himself. We get to experience God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Trinity. We get to know him in a way that Nicodemus and Moses never did. And the, and the incredible thing about it is not only that we get to know God, but that we know that God knows us. He knows Nicodemus far better than Nicodemus knows himself. And yeah, that, while that's vulnerable, that's also re- really, really reassuring. To know that God knows you, knows the things about you, the failures, the hidden things, and yet still loves you. To, be, to know God, yes, but also to be known by God. Now Nicodemus, he, uh, he gets a bad rap because he, he's clueless, as we are. He's sort of like us with the Trinity. How can it be? How, how can it be one God and three persons? And, you know, Nicodemus can't even get the Holy Spirit. You know, he's like, well, he can't understand being born again or being born from above. He's, he's confused about the whole thing. But, but he's pressing in to know. And I always like to remind people, Nicodemus, by the end of his life, has become a follower of Jesus. He defends Jesus in the Sanhedrin. And then it is Nicodemus that goes with Joseph of Arimathea to collect the body of Jesus, his Lord, in devotion. So we know he's there when when Jesus is resurrected. So this John 3 is not the end of Nicodemus' story. But we get to know God in an even more intimate way. And that's why I encourage you to consider the Trinity There's a German theologian Moltmann, and um, he, he described it as the paracaresis, the dance of God, that God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, and that God is in community with God, and that God is it's almost like a great dance that's going on in the eternity. God is community which is why at the center of our worship is communion and why God calls us not simply to be followers of him individually, but corporately, which is why Paul preaches on that we're the temple of God, that we're the body of Christ, that we're the bride of Christ, John tells us, because we're called to be a part of the community because God has revealed himself to be in community. I know that's that's pretty dense theology, but I, I, I've avoided it for most of the sermon, so you can handle one little bit of this. But but if if God has revealed Himself as community, then clearly He values community. Two practical applications, and I'm done. First, if God is revealed Himself to be God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God in community. Then should not we take extremely serious the call to be a part of community? When we come to this altar and we receive communion, we are kneeling down with each other and we are receiving communion not only with each other but with the Trinity. Is it any wonder that the enemy of God seeks to destroy and to isolate people and to devalue community because he knows how powerful a work it is in the lives of God's people? If God is community, then he values it above all. And if we have had God reveal himself to us, then we should seek to be in community with him, and with one another. Sadly, we live in a time where even many Christians are choosing not to go to church. And I know I work for the church, so you expect me to say that, but even if I didn't work for the church, by the way, if I didn't work for the church, I'd still come to this church because of you guys. Um, But it saddens me because we're impoverished to not know the joy of the fellowship of the brethren. We aren't meant to live this Christian life alone because it doesn't reflect God, the Trinity, God, the perichoresis, God who is in community with Himself and calls us into that community. Second application know God more and more. Press into him. Turn to the side like Moses did. Seek him out. Read the word of God which is inspired. Seek to know God. Be like Nicodemus. Even if you go in the darkness of night, seek him out to know him. To know God is to know his goodness and love and to fall greater in love with him And to desire more and more to serve Him. Know the Lord. And be known by Him. Don't be afraid of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Keep you, preserve you. May He keep you in His fellowship. May He continue to draw you to Himself that we may know, love, and serve him more fully as he makes himself known. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.